Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. During the summer of 1609, Samuel de Champlain attempted to form better relations and alliances with the local First Nations tribes, including Wendat Hurons, Algonquins, and Montagnais, who lived in the area of the St. Lawrence River. These tribes sought Champlain's help in their war against the Haudenosaunee, also known as the Iroquois Confederacy, League, or Five Nations. The founder of New France set off with his men to explore the Rivière des Iroquois, now known as the Richelieu River, and became the first known European to lay eyes on and map one of the continent's majestic bodies of water, named Lake Champlain in his honor. Let's hear more about his thrilling adventures from our friends at LibriVox. Samuel de Champlain and the Iroquois On a bright May morning in the year 1609, at the point where the stream then known as the Rivière des Iroquois, and which has since borne the various names of the Richelieu, the Chambly, the St. Louis, the Sorrel, and the St. John, poured the waters of an unknown interior lake into the channel of the broad St. Lawrence. There was presented a striking spectacle. Everywhere on the liquid surface, canoes, driven by the steady sweep of paddles wielded by naked and dusky arms, shot to and fro. Near the shore, a small shallop, on whose deck stood a group of armed whites, had just cast anchor and was furling its sails. Upon the strip of open land bordering the river and in the woodland beyond were visible great numbers of warriors, their faces hideously bedaubed with war-paint, their hands busy in erecting the frail habitations of a temporary camp. The scene was one of striking beauty, such as only the virgin wilderness can display. The river ran between walls of fresh green leafage, here narrowed, yonder widened into a broad reach, which was encircled by far-sweeping forests. The sun shone broadly on the animated scene, while the whites, from the deck of their small craft, gazed with deep interest on the strange picture before them, filled as it was with dusky natives, some erecting their forest shelters, others fishing in the stream, while still others were seeking the forest depths in pursuit of game. The scene is of interest to us for another reason. It was the prelude to the first scene of Indian warfare which the eyes of Europeans were to behold in the northern region of the American continent. The Spaniards had been long established in the south, but no English settlement had yet been made on the shores of the New World, and the French had but recently built a group of wooden edifices on that precipitous height which is now crowned with the walls and the spires of Quebec. Not long had the whites been there, before the native hunters of the forests came to gaze with wondering eyes on those pale-faced strangers with their unusual attire and surprising powers of architecture, and quickly they begged their aid in an expedition against their powerful enemies, the confederated nations of the Iroquois, who dwelt in a wonderful lake region to the south, and by their strength, skill, and valor had made themselves the terror of the tribes. Samuel de Champlain an adventurous Frenchman who had already won himself reputation by an exploration of the Spanish domain of the West Indies, was now in authority at Quebec, and did not hesitate to promise his aid in the coming foray, moved perhaps by that thirst for discovery and warlike spirit which burned deeply in his breast. 
The Indians had told him of great lakes and mighty rivers to the south, and doubtless the ardent wish to be the first to traverse these unknown waters was a moving impulse in his ready ascent. With the opening season the warriors gathered, Hurons and Algonquins, a numerous band. They paddled to Quebec, gazed with surprise on the strange buildings, the story of which had already been told in their distant wigwams, and on their no less strange inmates, feasted, smoked, and debated, and shrank in consternation from the piercing report of the arquebus and the cannon's frightful roar. Their hearts were filled with exultation on learning the powers of their new allies. Surely these wonderful strangers would deal destruction on their terrible foes. Burning with thirst for vengeance, they made their faces frightful with the war-paint, danced with frenzied gestures round the blaze of their campfires, filled the air with ear-piercing war-whoops, and at the word of command hastened to their canoes and swept in hasty phalanx up the mighty stream, accompanied by Champlain and eleven other white allies. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Two days the war party remained encamped at the place where we have seen them, hunting, fishing, fasting, and quarreling, the latter so effectually that numbers of them took to their canoes and paddled angrily away, scarce a fourth of the original array being left for the march upon the dreaded enemy. It was no easy task which now lay before them. The journey was long, the way was difficult. Onward again swept the diminutive squadron, the shallop outsailing the canoes, and making its way up the Richelieu, Champlain being too ardent with the fever of discovery to await the slow work of the paddles. He had not, however, sailed far up that forest-enclosed stream before unwelcome sounds came to his ears. The roar of rushing and tumbling water sounded through the still air, and now through the screen of leaves came a vision of snowy foam and the flash of leaping waves. The Indians had lied to him, they had promised him an unobstructed route to the great lake ahead, and here already were rapids in his path. How far did the obstruction extend? That must be learned. Leaving the shallop, he set out with part of his men to explore the wilds. It was no easy journey. Tangled vines, dense thickets, swampy recesses crossed the way. Here lay half-decayed tree trunks, there heaps of rocks lifted their mossy tops in the path, and ever as they went, the roar of the rapids followed, while through the foliage could be seen the hurrying waters pouring over rocks, stealing amid drift logs, eddying in chasms, and shooting in white lines of foam along every open space. Was this the open river of which he had been told? This the ready route to the great lake beyond? In anger and dismay Champlain retraced his steps, to find when he reached the shallop that the canoes of the natives had come up and now filled the stream around it. 
the disappointed adventurer did not hesitate to tell them that they had lied to him, but he went on to say that though they had broken their word, he would keep his. In truth, the vision of the mighty lake, with its chain of islands, its fertile shores, and bordering forests, of which they had told him, rose alluringly before his eyes, and with all the ardor of the pioneer, he was determined to push onward into that realm of the unknown. But their plans must be changed. Nine of the men were sent back to Quebec with the shallop. Champlain, with two others, determined to proceed in the Indian canoes. At his command, the warriors lifted their light boats from the water and bore them on their shoulders over the difficult portage past the rapids to the smooth stream above. Here, launching them again, the paddles once more broke the placid surface of the stream, and onward they went, still through the primeval forest, which stretched away in an unbroken expanse of green. It was a virgin solitude, unmarked by habitation, destitute of human inmate, abundant with game for it was the debatable land between warring tribes, traversed only by hostile bands, the battleground of Iroquois and Algonquin hordes. None could dwell here in safety, even hunting parties had to be constantly prepared for war. Through this region of blood and terror the canoes made their way, now reduced to twenty-four in number, manned by sixty warriors and three white allies. The advance was made with great caution, for danger was in the air. Scouts were sent in advance through the forests, others were thrown out on the flanks and rear, hunting for game as they went, for the store of pounded and parched maize which the warriors had brought with them was to be kept for food when the vicinity of the foe should render hunting impossible. The scene that night, as described by Champlain, was one to be remembered. The canoes were drawn up closely, side by side. Active life pervaded the chosen camp. Here some gathered dry wood for their fires, there others stripped off sheets of bark to cover their forest wigwams. Yonder the sound of axes was followed by the roar of falling trees. The natives had steel axes obtained from the French, and with their aid in two hours a strong defensive work, constructed of the felled trunks, was built, a half-circle in form, with the river at its two ends. This was the extent of their precautions. The returning scouts reported that the forest in advance was empty of foes. The tawny host cast themselves in full security on the grassy soil, setting no guards, and were soon lost in slumber, with that blind trust in fortune which has ever been one of the weak features of Indian warfare. They had not failed, however, to consult their oracles, those spirits which the medicine man was looked upon as an adept at invoking, and whose counsel was ever diligently sought by the superstitious natives. The conjurer crept within his skin-covered lodge, where, crouched upon the earth, he filled the air with inarticulate invocations to the surrounding spirits, while outside, squatted on the ground, the dusky auditors looked and listened with awe. Suddenly the lodge began to rock violently by the power of the spirits, as the Indians deemed, though Champlain fancied that the arm of the medicine man was the only spirit at work. Look on the peak of the lodge, whispered the odd natives. You will see fire and smoke rise into the air. Champlain looked, but saw nothing. The medicine man by this time had worked himself into convulsions. He called loudly upon the spirit in an unknown language, and was answered in squeaking tones like those of a young puppy. This powerful spirit was deemed to be present in the form of a stone. When the conjurer reappeared, his body streamed with perspiration, while the story he had to tell promised an auspicious termination of the enterprise. This was not the only performance of the warriors. There was another of a more rational character. Bundles of sticks were collected by the leading chief, which he stuck in the earth in a fixed order, 
calling each by the name of some warrior, the taller ones representing the chiefs. The arrangement of the sticks indicated the plan of battle. Each warrior was to occupy the position indicated by his special stick. The natives gathered closely round, intently studied the plan, then formed their ranks in accordance therewith, broke them, reformed them, and continued the process with a skill and alacrity that surprised and pleased their observer. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y using the code 30605.